So, picking up where we left off the last couple weeks. As you know, we've been in this series for a while. There is no end in sight. I, I quit making promises a few years ago on when this thing, these things were going to end because as the further I get into these, the further uh, down the road we kick the can, it seems to be. And so as we get into this, we've been looking at the idea of what happened to the power of God. As you guys know, we live in a world today where we just kind of seem to think that God's out there and it's almost like He's our fairy godmother. You know, it, it's that if we click our heels together, we wish really hard, that God will give us the desires of our heart. It's all about today, and modern Christianity is kind of twofold in America. It's either fulfill your destiny, or God's hand is kind of off, and we can do what we want. There's no middle ground, it seems, anymore. You see, if we're going to fulfill our destiny, it seems that every time something good happens to you, it came from God. But what is the alternative to that is that if something bad happens to you, well, that's not from God, that's the enemy. And we need to understand this, is that we have created a, a God in our image today based off of what we want. It's like we're cracking open a fortune cookie and we're seeing, what does God have for me today? What does He want? We read our Bibles in that way. As you guys know, and because we harp it, and you guys, I mean, let's just be honest here. We have a wealth of riches when it comes to the teaching of Scripture in this church. Because a lot of churches don't. We don't not a lot of churches have a Janet that spends so much time teaching on Sunday mornings and stuff and gets in deep. I mean, we are very, very blessed by that. Of course, we teach the Word up here, but I mean, the bottom line is, is there's all sorts of options between Wednesday night, now Tuesday night with, with the ladies. I mean, my goodness, it's like you should never have a lack of a study of Scripture in this church because that's what we focus on. The reason we do that is because without this, we have no foundation. What do we base our beliefs on? Now, this isn't just some book. It's nothing, there's nothing magical. This is just pages. You know, it's just paper. It's nothing magical, but it's like it's not a book. It is a collection of books, 66 books with one th a story all the way through it. It's about the redemption of mankind. And we could get into all the stuff of how we know it's true and how we know it's accurate and how we know that the Bible is the same one they read thousands of years ago and all of that stuff. We don't need to do that. We're going to make the assumption that everybody's on the same page there. But when it comes down to this, it's like, where did God go? I mean, my goodness, guys. We had somebody in our church had a barrel explode in his face. Had to be lifelighted in the ICU for two weeks or whatever it was. Where was God in that? Why didn't an angel come down and remove that barrel or at a minimum take the plasma torch out of the man's hand? Where was he in that, right? Who's going to take the keys to Stan Skidloader away, right? If you didn't know, he, uh, he no, that's Janet. That's Janet. He, uh, he rolled a skid loader the other day if you didn't know. Where was the warning? You've got prophetic guys talking about, uh, that are coming out here recently saying that, you know what, these, all these floods in the Midwest are a result of America's uh, belief in abortion and being okay with it and pushing that agenda, the murder of babies, which is sacrificing them to a, a false god. The problem with that idea is that most people in the Midwest are against abortion. So God made a mistake. He got the wrong states. I mean, you want to hit California. Listen, we're, we're all on board there. Flood that sucker. Get them out of there. We'll do a little Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll get the believers out of them. It would be the same thing in the state of California. It's like, Lord, if you find 10, would you not destroy the state? And it might be a stretch, okay? That's a joke. I have friends in California. They're believers. But, man, that's one. Yeah, that's one. You're not wrong. You see, where did God go? Why is He so hands-off in our lives? And the problem is we only think He's hands-on when we get what we want. 
We're believing God for whatever the case may be. It'd be in a car, something financial, something in our life, healing. I don't care what it is. And if we get it, then man, God is good. And if we don't, it wasn't His time. And God is not a fairy godmother. He's not a lamp that we rub and we get three wishes. We'll leave that to Will Smith. The bottom line is, guys, is where did God go? Where did, where did he disappear? As we read Psalm 103. Let's read this again. Starting in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is David writing this. And what do we notice in here? is that he was not questioning the character of God or how God reacts or how God performs. He knew it. He made a statement. Bless the Lord because of this. He, forget, he forgives all our iniquities. Not that he might, not that he could, and isn't, we don't know if he wants to. He heals all your diseases. Not if he might or not if he could, but we don't know if he wants to. There was a confident expectation that David had on how God was going to perform. But we've adopted a culture today is that, well, God works in mysterious ways. No, he doesn't. God works in predictable patterns. God works in the way that he said that he will perform based off of his word. So why can't we go to the Word and read it and say, okay, God, if based off of this, then I'm going to stand on that you're going to perform in this way. When he said believers lay hands on the sick and they will recover, why don't we act like that's going to happen if we just simply did that? Because if he did that and we would see it, then wouldn't we go lay hands on more people? Wouldn't we act like that a little bit more often? But what do we do? It's like, well, I don't know if he's going to do it this time. I don't know if it's his will. God doesn't heal today. He only did that during the time of the Bible. We talked about all of that stuff. We talked about, you know, how they believed that, that at the time of the apostles, they had the apostolic gifts, and those were just for healing. But those are done away with now that we have the Word. We don't need any more miracles. We have the Bible. We have a Bible that's full of miracles, and never once does it say that they would stop, but yet we've just kind of settled for that. We've settled for what we would call second best. we settled for a God who is there, but His hands are off, and we don't know how He's going to respond. The problem we have today is that we have to look at Scripture consistently. Is it God's will to heal? And we're specifically talking about healing. Is it God's will to save all? Yep. Will everybody get saved? Nope. It's God's will. So when we look at this, we've got to say, okay, God, based off of what we read in Scripture, what do we expect? Now, we looked at this, these four messianic miracles. Remember these. And the reason we keep coming back to these is because we have to know what they're talking about. The Jews expected when the Messiah came that he would perform these miracles. And we went through these in depth. We're just going to talk about them quickly. The cleansing of a leper. Why that? Because they believed that leprosy was given by God as a result of sin, because you saw that a couple of times in Scripture. And therefore, only God Himself could cleanse a leper. And what did Jesus do? He cleansed the lepers. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, the casting out of a deaf and dumb spirit. Not that they were stupid. They weren't Oklahoma fans. They just couldn't talk. Now, we wish Oklahoma fans couldn't talk, but unfortunately, their mouths never stopped running. <laughs> Can I get an amen? All right, now. We're 50 days from football season. I'm so excited. Going down. Yeah, whatever. See? That's what I'm talking about. They're always... <laughs> I work alone here, Stan. I got this. Okay. But what was the deal? The Jews believed that they had exorcisms, rites, things that they did, but in order to cast out a demon, they had to get its name first. And if the demon can't hear or the person can't speak or hear, 
then they can't respond, and thus they can't cast them out. So only the Messiah could do that. And of course, we saw Jesus do that. How about the healing of birth defects? Somebody that was born blind, born deaf, born lame. Okay, why, why was that? It was a result of sin. Either the sin of the parents, somebody in the family, or the individual had sinned, and that's they were born that way. And so there was no hope for them outside of the Messiah. And what did we see? The man born blind. Jesus heals his eyes. There's this big thing with the Pharisees. It goes down, all of that. It was a declaration that Jesus was the Messiah. And of course, the last one, the raising of the dead after the third day, because they believed that the spirit of a man stayed with the body up until day three. At day four, he leaves. The body's too decomposed. Only God himself could raise that person from the dead. And we saw that with Lazarus. Those are the four messianic miracles. Now, why did Jesus do these? As I was trying to show you, these are not abstract things. This was an expectation based off of what they believed in God. And so Jesus performed these miracles, and thus it was exactly what they expected. Can we be the same way? Can we expect God to move in a way based off of the Word? Absolutely, but we don't. We looked at another one, the woman with the issue of blood. If I may just touch the hem of his garment, I would be made whole. Why that? Is that random? Of course it's not random. Nothing in the Bible is random. Remember we talked about this. This is Talit. I'm just going through this quickly because not everybody was here and maybe you forgot or maybe I talked too fast. One of those things is at least possible. But they wore these garments and at the hem of the garment that they would have these things called zitzits. T-Z-I-T. T-Z-I-T. Two words. Okay? And they had four of them on all four corners. Uh, you saw that David cut that off of Saul, I almost said Solomon, I knew that wasn't right. Off of King Saul, cutting his authority. That's what he took off, then he immediately regretted it. That was a bad move on David's part. He had a couple of those in his life. So, these things, the word zitzit in the gematria comes out to the number 600. Okay, that's the, uh, every letter has a number associated with it. And so there are five knots of eight strings. And so it comes out to 613. It was to remind them to keep the commandments. There were 613 commandments. But the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, spent everything she had, and said that she had a, a rough life, rough go. She said, if I could just touch the hem of, her gar of his garment, I will be made whole. Why did she have that idea? Remember, she's not supposed to be around anybody because she was unclean. We read that in Leviticus. So why? Because in Malachi 4, it says, when the Son of Righteousness comes, he comes with healing in his wings. This word wings is the same word here as the hem. It's the zitzitz. It was a confident expectation that the Messiah would come with healing in his wings because it was prophesied by Malachi. So, why did she do that? That's exactly why. These are not abstract. They're not random. They were all calculated moves based off of the precedents laid out before us. But yet, we don't do that anymore. We don't look at it the same way. Then last week, we got into this idea of atonement. And the idea of penal substitutionary atonement, getting into this theory. I know many of you never heard that word. Many of you may never say it again. Many of you may not attempt to spell or pronounce this, and that's okay. But we need to know what it means. So when we look at the definitions of it, here they are. First word we have is the penal. It's relating to or used for or prescribing the punishment of offenders under the legal system. An active offense punishable by law. So as an example, if you drive too fast and they give you a ticket, you've now entered yourself into the penal system. And your options are pay the fine or go to jail. It's one of the two. And so you're now in the penal system. Something has been offended and must be reconciled. 
So then we come to the word substitution, or in this case, substitutionary. It's a person or thing acting or serving in place of another. Somebody stepping in on your behalf. So you get said speeding ticket, and you don't have the $100 to pay the fine. So a friend of yours, a family member says, listen, I will take care of that fine for you, right? What did they do? They've stepped into that place. They've substituted themselves. They are now feeling the brunt of the punishment, right? For what you had done. The last word, of course, is atonement. It's the satisfaction or reparation for a wrong or an injury. It's a reconciliation, bringing it back. What does this mean? It means that Jesus stepped in for us into a quote-unquote penal system. Now, why does he need to do that? Because if God is just, then he must demand justice for sin. But Jesus stepped in as our substitute. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so because of that, He atoned for our, our, our sins. He made a covering. He took them away. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You notice what it says here. Let's get, I know I, I've said this before, I am hyper-analytical and words mean something to me. When I see this, He made Him, being Jesus, who never knew sin, which eliminates all of us, right? Some more than others, right, Stan? Boomer sooner. All right. To be sin for whom? For us. For our benefit. It's the idea he substituted for us, that we might become. So based off of that work, we get to do what? Become the righteousness of God only in Him. Not what church you attend, not what your beliefs are and anything, or your thoughts in the Bible. It's only through Him. There's nothing you can do that makes you righteous in God. It is only through Him. Through what? Through His death, burial, and resurrection, according to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 15 and what Paul wrote. So we have to understand this. We have to understand why all of this is going on and why this is important. As I told you last week, there are all sorts of different atonement theories that are out there. Most of them are baseless. They're wacko. Um, and there's a big movement right now eliminating this aspect. The idea that God sacrificed Jesus. But the patterns are all throughout the Bible, primarily in the Passover. So now let's look at this. Why do we have to deal with this? Why do we have to deal with any of this, specifically dealing with sickness? Because that's what we're talking about. Is it God's will to heal today? And if it is, is it God's will to heal all today? And we began to look at this. If we put up here the word atonement, okay? The atoning is the covering. We saw it in the Old Testament that they would have to sacrifice and do all this stuff and their sins would be atoned for. Jesus being our atoning sacrifices has removed from us sin. So we need atonement over sin. Because if Jesus, as an example, it talks about him being resurrected. Paul says that if he wasn't resurrected, then we're still in our sin and our, our faith is baseless. It's useless. We're wasting our time. But according to him, there's over 500 people that saw Jesus at one time resurrected. They saw him dead, then they saw him alive. So he is either the greatest escape artist ever, or he literally died and he literally raised. So the atonement comes from sin. It covers, it takes care of that, right? You are now the righteousness of God in him. You are made right. But what else does this atonement cover? Is it only for sin? Does it just make you spiritually well, or is there more to it? That's what we have to begin to look at. Because is the same atonement that covers for sin the same atonement that covers for healing, for health? 
That's what we want to get into. And where should we look for this? Not in books. In your Bible. In the Scriptures. What did God say about that? Because let me tell you something. Why is it so easy to believe that God paid for my sins, but not my health? Why is it so easy to do that? I mean, you're talking about, listen, I can deal with being sick. I don't want to spend all eternity separated from God. So if I'm going to pick between the two, I'll take that one. Make me sick, broken legs, I don't care what it is, I'll deal with that. But I want to be where God is. Are these things mutually exclusive, or are they combined in there? Now remember what Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that was was within me. Bless His holy name. And He talks about how He forgives our iniquities, and He heals all our diseases. You're going to begin to notice as we do this over the next several weeks, a trend of forgiveness and healing using the same terms. It's very important to understand this and why that is, and how important that is. Because we're going to begin to lay this foundation brick by brick. We're not going to go fast through this. Because I gave up on the, you know, the 12-week series, and we'll be done at the end of it. I gave up on that idea a long time ago. you got to remember, I mean, when we did the Emmaus Road, I literally had 12 weeks planned out. It took 64. So I'm, I'm done. I'm not making any promises. You guys can ask me, when are you going to do in the next series? The answer is, I have no idea. There's a good chance that Jesus will return. We may have a different presidential election before this is over. I don't have the foggiest idea. So here we go. Sin, forgiveness, and healing. Same thing, different thing. Well, we need to do this. What is sin and where did it come from? Well, let's look at Romans 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, says this. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, what are we talking about here? Let's break this down a little bit. We're talking about in the beginning. Now, obviously, when it says, therefore, there was something that came before that, and we'll get to that eventually. And we know that there's something after that. We'll get to that eventually. But what is sin? Well, we know that it entered through one man. It entered into the world. So let's look at this. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, you've got the creation of all things. Six days God created. What did he do? He took the seventh day off. You know why? Because he knew college football would be played on Saturdays, and he wanted to watch the Huskers. There you go, right? Guys, listen, it's going to go full circle. You might as well get on board with this. This is what we're going to do. He creates all things. He creates man. And we're going to watch what happens here. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight as good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so what happened? Remember, the creation is now done. What does he say? He planted a garden eastward in Eden. At the, uh, when the, the, the creation was complete, he had man already made, he now plants a garden. See, God was a farmer. And he took the man and he put him in there. And he said, I want you to take care of this. To expand it, to do all of this kind of stuff. And you notice what it says. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he gives him a warning. What does he say? Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And we know how the story goes, right? What does he do? His wife goes up. The the serpent, which we know is the devil, comes up and says, Did God really say... And she begins to question. She sees that it's good for food and it would make her like God. And so she ate and he, she gave to her husband and he ate. She was deceived. He was not. He willingly laid down his life for her. 
Now, a question I often get is, why on earth would God put this there in the first place? Does God know all things? Of course He does. So if He knows that they're going to screw up and they're going to sin, why on earth would He put that there? If it looks so good, they could have every other tree, but not that one. Why? Because in order to have a free, loving agent, you have to be able to go against their demands. If there is no option for them to disobey, then it is not a free love towards God. It is a coerced love towards God. I mean, if you go and kidnap somebody and say, guess what, you're going to marry me, they did not freely choose you. You coerced them. If you bribe them, you coerce them. And I know some of you guys are thinking, well, that's what I did. You had to, right? I understand. I understand completely. I'm still paying off the debt to my wife's family because, whew, they were not willing. But here we go. And look what it says. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, did he die? No, we know he didn't because they had children after that, right? Cain and Abel, all that whole story. So what does that mean? Well, in the Hebrew there, it doesn't mean that you'll die physically, although that's part of it. It says, dying, you shall die. That's what it literally says if you literally translate it. What does that mean? Spiritually, they were dead. What happened? All of a sudden, they realized they were naked because they were no longer covered by the glory of God. And God makes a sacrifice and provides clothing for them and all of that kind of stuff. So once they died spiritually, the clock started ticking on them physically. You guys see how that worked? Because had they not died spiritually, they would have never died physically. There was no death. There was also no sickness. When did this take place? When did this event in the creation account? We know at a minimum it was day 8. Because day 7 he took off. Minimum was day 8. May have been longer. We don't know. So, but it probably wasn't very long. Doesn't take man too long to screw something up. So, what we have is dying you will die. Spiritually, they were 100% made right. They were completely perfect in the eyes of God. Had a relationship with God. God walked with them. God was in the garden with them. And so, what are we trying to get back to? It's the same thing. It's going to come full circle with the new heavens, the new earth, and all of that. So we have no sickness, no death. We have sickness. We have death. Where did that enter in? At the moment of sin. They broke the, the righteousness of God. They were no longer made whole. There now has to be this entire sacrificial system that goes on. It was all the result of sin. Because of sin... Death entered the world. One man's sin. And because of Christ, all sin can be atoned for. See, they talk about Jesus being the second Adam. That's where we're going. That's what we're looking at. Is that all of this is predicated on sin. So, what is sickness? Slow death. If you did not have an immune system of, to speak of, you would die from a common cold. You would die from this most minor of infections. Because your body has been created to ward that stuff off and fight it on its own. You take that away. That's why people who are underneath chemo, where it completely fries their immune system, they, they, I mean, they can almost die from a hangnail. Because they just have nothing there protecting them. So we see sin entering into the world. It's like our spiritual immune system was now gone. Now we are now subject to death because of sin. We see sin bringing this on constantly. Let's look at this in Exodus 15. Verse 22, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and he went out in the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Can you imagine you know, going around, you need something to drink. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, and the people complained against Moses. There's the problem, right? 
It was a result of sin. They are not supposed to be complaining. What, what's happening here? God has led them out of Egypt. And the first thing they do is start whining, saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. Then he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came uh, to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. Now look what happens. They're complaining. God makes a way. And he says, if you heed the voice, you do what's right in his eye, and heed his commandments, I will not put any of the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians, because I am the Lord that heals you. So you see this obedience in healing. That means they had a confident expectation, if we do what God says his way, we will be, never be sick. Right? I mean, that's literally what this is saying. It's very important. Because what, what, what was put on the Egyptians? Well, we know the judgments and we know all that kind of stuff. All right, let's look at another one. Exodus 23, verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Now, who is this angel that we're referencing here? This is usually a Christology, a pre-incarnate Christ. But if you indeed obey his voice and do not do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. What do we see here? They're getting, this is a promised land thing. You're going to go in here and the angel's going to go before you. He's going to fight your battles for you. You don't really have to do this. You just need to go in and take what I have given you. And if you do this and you don't provoke this angel, in other words, you, you, you do what you're supposed to be doing, you serve the Lord your God, he will bless all things and God will take sickness away from the midst of you. What was the sickness predicated on? Obedience. If you obey, you will not be sick. Fair enough? I mean, you guys see this? I realize I'm not going in depth as far as the context of this goes, but that is literally all that's happening here. Remember what the whole covenant was with, with the nation of Israel. You will be my people. I will be your God. You will serve me. If you don't break my commandments, all will be well with you. You will not be sick. You will not have any of these issues. You will go upon life. Life will be good. But if you don't, what happens? Curses. Let's look at some of those. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord. So we see that. If you don't obey. Observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall you be, be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. Not sounding real pleasant right now, right? The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish, and your heavens which, you are, uh, which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to power 
powder and, the, and dust. From the heaven it shall come down to you and on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies and shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be for food to all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt. Where? Egypt, the plagues, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch, and from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. You shall grope at noonday, and a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in ways. You shall only be oppressed and plunder continually, and no one shall save you. Boy, doesn't that sound like fun. But, how do they avoid all of this? Keep the commandments. It was simple. Just do what you're supposed to do. None of this will come upon you. But we also see the whole idea of Egypt. You notice it keeps hearkening back to Egypt, the things that happened in Egypt. All right? Let's look at another one. Deuteronomy 28, verse 58. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in the book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, He will bring back on you all the disease of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. Okay? You think God's fooling around. You remember what I talked about this with the tzitzit? Why did they have these? It was to remind them to keep the commandments. This is a prayer shawl called a talit. This is what it later became. But on their, their, their garment that they wore, they had them there at the base. It was part of the hymn. It was to remind them to keep the commandments. You'll see Jewish men today. They wear tzitzit around their waist. Women do it too. And it's to remind them to keep the commandments. All 613. So, again, not looking real promising. But, all you got to do is be obedient and do what I tell you to. You're not going to have to worry about any of this. Nothing that was on Egypt is going to come upon you. Well, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12. Then it shall come to pass because you, uh, you listen to these judgments and keep and do them. Oh, okay. The Lord God will keep you, with the, uh, keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flock, and the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all the sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases diseases of Egypt which you have known but will lay them on all those who hate you also you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God deliver over to you your eyes shall have no pity on them nor shall you serve their gods for they will be a snare to you so what do we see here we see the antithesis to the previous one if you're obedient you don't have to worry about all of this but what does it say the Lord will take away from you all sickness so what do we see obedience and sickness you can avoid sickness by being obedient what was the precursor of the Mosaic? They were talking about the Mosaic Covenant. We've got to understand the covenants. It was a unilateral contract between two people saying that if you do this, then I will perform this way. If you obey me, then you will be blessed. You will not be sick. If you don't, then the curses come upon you. Now, most people say, well, just don't do that, right? It's a piece of cake. No problem. I'll just be obedient. That's not the way it worked, obviously. And we see that all throughout time. Now, we also notice here that he said, I will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt. You notice how it keeps hearkening back to that. That is because we need to understand what is happening there. How many plagues were there that was put on Egypt? There were ten. 
And we're going to go through those because you need to understand what was happening there. Were those plagues abstract, random? Did God just wake up one day, I'm going to send some frogs. They're going to hate the frog. Nobody likes frogs, right? If they're cooked right, they're all right. But what is going on here? Now remember, we're watching God throughout Scripture performing in a way that we expect Him to. We saw that in the New Testament with the Messianic miracles. Another example was, was the woman with the issue of blood. We saw them expecting Him to perform in a certain way. We see here that God is laying out exactly how He will perform if Israel does what they're supposed to do. There was never a question. There was never a question that, God, we've kept all your commandments. Why aren't we blessed? That never had to be asked because God said, I will bless you. The covenant that God made with David. What did he say? Somebody's going to sit on your throne for all time. We know that's going to be Jesus. But David didn't have to sit around and guess. And it's like, oh, I wonder if God's going to keep that promise. You see, God's character is not a question. Man's side is the moving part. We have to keep that in mind. Because we're always looking here. Sin and healing. Sin and healing. Just keep that in mind. So let's look at this. Let's look at these plagues. Let's see what is going on. You need to understand here. Verse 14. We're going to start here. It's in Exodus um, chapter 7. We're going to read for a while. But I want you to get this. So the Lord said to Moses... Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, and when he goes out of the water, you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod, which turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over their ponds, and over all the pools of their water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. Now stop there for a second. You notice they didn't sit there and walk into the situation. I wonder if I really do this, is God's going to, is he really going to turn this to blood? Because I'm going to look like an idiot. Like if I, if I lift up my staff over the waters and that sucker don't become blood, I'm going to look like an idiot. They didn't question that at all. And so, he lifted up the rod, and he struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servant, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And the Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river and seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river so look what's happening here this is not some scientific thing I've seen so many things that are like well it wasn't really blood there was some chemical that was released and it caused the water to look like blood and all this other stuff that's nonsense all the fish died everything was, they could find no clean water to drink and if you're in Egypt you want clean water to drink if you're anywhere you want it for that matter but it's really hot over there and so, what is going on? Well, God, first of all, performed exactly how He said He would, right? Did Moses and Aaron doubt Him in any way? No. They walked in there. They said, this is what's going to happen. Pharaoh refused. So, they performed. And God did exactly what He was going to do. But this is weird. 
Because why the Nile? Was he just trying to cut off the water supply? It's kind of like, you know, they used to do that when they would, they would gather around a, a, a fortress of some sort and they would cut off supplies going in. They would basically just wait them out until they just laid down their sword because they had no water, they had no food, whatever. Is that what's happening here? Well, we know that it only lasted seven days. So that can't be the motive. So what is going on here? Well, we need to understand what these uh, things that were going against Egypt are. These are all a result and a judgment on a God in Egypt. Here's the first one. Look at this picture. This is happy. I don't know if I'm saying that right. He's the God of the Nile. They believe that the life was brought through the Nile. They believe that they would go into the waters and it would rejuvenate them. It's kind of like the uh, fountain of youth type of thing. They would worship this God. They would sacrifice to this God and it brought them clean water and fresh water that they could grow crops and that they could live and sustain life. The judgment was against the gods of Egypt. So was this random? No, it wasn't random at all. You see, this is once again calculated by God. Well, let's look at the next one. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, into your bed, into the house of your servants, into your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and your people and all your servants. Doesn't that sound like fun? And the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause the frogs to come up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you and your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. And he said, tomorrow, and he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you and your house, from you, your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out to Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought to the Pharaoh. And so the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together, and he and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Now, again, what happens? Moses and Aaron step right up because God said he was going to do it. There was no wavering on their part. Sure enough, the frogs come out. Now remember, prior to this, all the fish in the rivers, in the ponds, all of that died. There was nothing left. That means these frogs were a supernatural thing. They didn't just hop there from someplace else because they came all at once. There was no life in these rivers. So out of this, starting to sink a little bit. Listen, take this away. This is a little much. Can you imagine? I mean, listen, frogs are kind of gross. And so they do that. So Moses says, okay, we're going to do according to what God has said. They will all die out. Of course, they do. But what happened? Pharaoh got what he wanted, but he still hardened his heart to God. Well, what about this one? Who is this against? Well, this one here is called Hecate. Again, do not go off my pronunciations of these. But the goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. Now, what do you notice about her? The head. It's a frog. Another coincidence, I suppose. Of course not. It's a calculated move by God. What is he trying to do here? There is one true God. One true God. And Pharaoh is going against him. Let's look at the next one. 
Verse 16, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with the rod and struck the dust of the earth and became lice on men and beasts. All the dust of the land became lice through all the land of Egypt. The magicians so worked with the enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. Now, this is the first time they couldn't uh, uh, make this happen. So there was lice on man and beast. And then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, Yahweh, Yah-Hed-Vad-Hed. That's the unpronounceable name of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. So again, we see something different here. Well, what about this one? This one's name? Geb. I don't know why it has a bird on his head. But he was the god over the dust of the earth. Called him the god of earth. The earth, the ground that was on it. So we have a third god. They had multiples. What about the next one? The Lord, verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water. Then he says to them, Thus says the Lord, let my people go, and that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and in your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground in which they stand. In that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people will dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this shall be a sign. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of the Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. And then Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron, saying, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. What land? The land of Goshen. That's what he told him to go. And Moses said, it is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. The falsities here. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptian before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you should go, not go very far away. Intercede for me. And Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord, that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow uh, from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh... Uh, but let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice the Lord. So Moses went out to Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Now he made a promise and he didn't fulfill it. But what are we dealing with here? Well, here's another one, and this is where it gets interesting, because you kind of got to dig a little bit. This is Kepri. It's the God of creation, movement of the sun, is the God of rebirth. Remember, they believed in um, uh, coming back from the dead. I can't think of the word now. Reincarnation, thank you. But what do flies have to do with that? Well, look at the head of this creature. See, when we hear the word flies, what do we think of? House fly. But they don't have that. They had these flying bugs. They're kind of like a beetle, which is what is on that thing's head. So again, we see a judgment of God upon another God, a false God, of the Egyptians. What is he showing them? I am the true God, the God of what will become Israel. And so we see this time and time again. Look at the next one. We're now in chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on the cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, and on the camels, on the oxen, on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. So you notice he keeps separating them now. This isn't going to affect my people. It's only going to affect 
affect your people. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing. The next day all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelite was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. He's doubling down. Well, who is this one? Well, this is Hathor. This is the goddess of love and protection. What do you notice on her head? It's a cow. There's different renditions of that, but you don't get away from the fact that it's a cow. And what did he just go after? The livestock. All right, let's look at the next one. Verse 8. I know I'm going fast, but some of you guys want to go home eventually. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens and the side of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt. And it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And so they took the ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Well, what about this one here they got these boils that can't get anything to work well this is isis not the ones that like you know bomb places the goddess of medicine and peace they could get no relief from these boils why because they had all these medicinal things if you study egyptology you'll notice they have all sorts of little remedies home remedies to take care of all these different ashes you know you hear about like you got to get dragon's foot and the tongue of newt and all that kind of stuff a lot of that comes out of egypt it's kind of like today's modern you know essential oils you know you mix a little of this a little of that rub that baby on there oh my arm was broken and now it's better you know i'm just kidding all right just calm down i'll go back to sooner joke soon enough but but he's attacking again another god they could find no relief no matter what they did and this is abbreviated obviously we don't know how long this lasts exactly but she could not protect them from this. Let's look at another one. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. So now we know why God is doing this. I've said it, but now he declares it. His people need to be let go. And now he's coming from a physical standpoint, and now he's going to get to his very heart. And we know where he's going, right? The last plague, the death of the firstborn. But here he says that you may know. Who may know? You see, the Israelites knew, but that Pharaoh may know. Now, what's another thing in that? Wherever they went, after that fact, when they escaped, when they go into, uh, when Joshua takes them into the promised land, they knew what God had done in Egypt for them. He had gone against all these other gods. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet, you exalt yourself against my people, and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as, as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home. They shall die. Now you notice he's giving them an out. Tomorrow, at this time, it's coming. What would that tell you? Uh, if you're smart, get them inside. 
He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch at your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail. So very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent to, and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head, and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops." So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the hail, uh, the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord has spoken by Moses. Do you pick up on a pattern? As soon as it's a little bit of reprieve, he goes back to what he was doing. We see that same pattern in mankind today, right? We have a crisis hit, people come to God, and as soon as things get a little bit better, I go back to what I was doing before. We see it all the time. Now, one of the things that I want to point out here is that you got the hail from heaven. It was predicted. He gave them time. Listen, this is what's going to happen. I suggest you take care of this. But why did God not just make that happen? You notice who he used in this the entire time. It was always Moses and Aaron. Go, raise your hands. Go, put it over the water. Go and do this. They were a very active part in the judgment on these gods. It's very important to keep going forward. Because when God rained uh, a fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, who raised their hands? Nobody. But here we've got a reprieve coming. Now, who is this against? What God is this? Well, this is the God called Nut. You know why they call her that? Because you've got to be nuts to believe in this. Ha ha, sorry. Tough crowd. All right. But this is the goddess of the sky. You can kind of see her up over there. And I believe that she brought protection and kept protection. And that if it hailed, it was because she was angry with them and they would sacrifice to her. So another judgment against the gods of Egypt. A couple more. We're almost done. Chapter 10, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and, his, and, and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things that I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Now you notice that statement right there. If you fast forward in time, what do they always do? They always go back to the time of the Exodus, when they left Egypt and how God brought them out, all even throughout the New Testament. It was always a marker for them that God brought them out. Verse 3, So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh, and said to them, uh, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, 
How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse, let my people go. Behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains uh, to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor uh, your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day of which they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, they, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? There's not much left. And Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. That's important because we're moving into that. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so, go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord. For that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. And Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind in the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt, and they were very severe. Previously they had been uh, no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened, and that they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So they remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. So, again, well, what God is this? Well, here it is. This is Seth. It's the God of storms and disorders. What brought it in? It was the wind. The wind brought in these locusts. What took it out? The wind. It was the same thing. This is what they believed they believed that the storms would bring in and they would bring good or they bring evil. Storms can be a good thing if they're not too severe. But God, again, bringing judgment against this. How about the next one, the final one for today anyway? Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They... They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept, uh, kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again now what is the judgment here this is against Ra this is the sun God the God of the sun what did God do he took it away for three days 
But what, what do we notice a pattern? And you guys, first of all, we see there was nothing random about these. We read them as such because we don't understand what's going on. But we read them as if this is just kind of random and God's just kind of drawing something out of a hat or he's got a, a dartboard full of judgments. He throws the dart. I'm like, yep, going to send flies. Yep, going to send, I'm going to darken the sun. I'm going to turn the water into blood. That's not what's happening. You see, it's the gods of Egypt that God is showing himself as the one true God. Now, when we fast forward, that God says that, listen, I will not put the diseases of Egypt on you, but what was predicated on that? You serve the Lord your God in Him only. So we see sin and the sickness and the judgments all in the same breath. We also see that the one who brought them and the one who took them away was also man. It's very important that Moses and Aaron were very much a part of that. God could have done it without them, but He chose not to. It's all tied in because we see this atoning sacrifice that's getting ready to come in. Because what, what is the last plague that we did not talk about? It is the angel of death. And what kept them safe? It was the blood of the Lamb. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Because that there is the marker going forward. We have to understand what's happening. Does God move in mysterious ways? No. He made a promise to Moses and Aaron. Listen, here's what I want you to go. And they went and did it, and he performed exactly how he said he would. In fact, if you read your scriptures where God made a promise, there is never one example where God did not do exactly what he said that he would do. Not one, but yet we doubt him today. You see, we have to be students of the word. We have to understand what's going on. Don't these make a lot more sense when you start to realize this and what he was doing? Because the Israelites, too, were worshiping these gods when they were in Egypt. He's showing them that He is the one true God. And He is the one that's going to bring them through. So do not miss next week. I promise you, you will love it.